stop right there. Thank you very much. Uh, before we go uh, on with the podcast, uh, we need before to let we you go. Know, yeah. <laughs> before we leave, uh, we need to let you know ways that you can support us. Uh, Patreon dot com slash unsung pod. Uh, I think you can still just donate to us as well if you don't want stuff. Yeah, but I if mean, you want to hear the podcast early, uh, if you want to have other stuff, you can have a good fun time. Imagine you wanted to donate, but you didn't want any of the perks. Yeah, no, you can still do that on PayPal or something. Yeah, but I don't you could just sign up for a month and then leave. Like, it's totally yeah. fine. <laughs> but yeah, go to patreon.com slash unsungpod and you can listen to us two days early. Um, it's or very exciting. Just do what we do anyway, which is that you donate looking for perks and then we just don't provide them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we have actually put Friends of the Pod now on the website, so there's a section for everybody that has t- yeah. supported us. So, you know, you're and do you know what? We're, we're actually... We need to design t-shirts and post people some playlists. Some but we're waiting need- for replies, replies from the people, so yeah. it's not like mm-hmm. we're not trying to do it. Get your finger out. To be honest, it's yeah. your fault, guys. Yeah. Get your finger out. Yeah. It's... Uh, yeah, it is. This I is an active podcast, not a passive podcast. I made the spreadsheet, and it's, it's partially filled. In fact, well, we'll, we'll babysite you enough. This, this part's done. For God's sake. Bye. <laughs>
it's, it's satisfying fun. junk TV it's and fun. it doesn't involve Jeremy Clarkson anymore. Who, yeah. who's, who's on it? It's got Paddy McGuinness. Paddy McGuinness. <laughs> Freddie, Freddie Flint of and a man from YouTube and do you know what it's, it's quite wholesome it's not it doesn't prey upon the weak it doesn't have Richard Hammond the hamster uh, involved in it it's actually it's quite fun like Wait considering it's Hop Gear Freddie Flintoff's the guy that's on a he's a world game famous a league of, a league a league of, of their own, own. Yeah. you guys are fucked in the head that's no, no, terrible seriously it's Dave, genuinely you, your hair looks a bit like Freddie Flintoff as well. oh, that's fine <laughs> I'm but going for the Gaza 96 my, my so. cultural thing was uh, that Lawrence Fox was on it this week which is Abhorrent. Oh, what? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That was obviously recorded a, f- a few months ago before he was cancelled. Wearing right? a Jordan Peterson t shirt. Oh, my. Fuck off, really? Yeah, man. We should all bow our oh heads my God. for Jordan Peterson, a man who struggled <laughs> in the last year hey, with his newfound hey, we're not multi-millionaire to, status. We're not allowed to laugh at his I don't struggle. think. Yeah, I don't think anybody any of this out should be cancelled, but I think they should definitely check the fucking privilege. It's because he eats only beef. It's, it's going to fuck your mind. Yeah, eventually. Maybe he's got CJD. Maybe from eating just far too much beef. He was like, he was playing Russian roulette with like five in the chamber. And that's it. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, apart from that, uh, nah, not no other cultural. I didn't, I didn't actually do. I think the probably most cultural thing I did this week was watch a horror film about a haunted Polaroid camera. Nice. <laughs> I don't recommend that. No, I, did watch uncut, I did watch Uncut Gems, which I recommend. Oh, apparently thoroughly. it was terrific, yeah, yeah. And really uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. I went to see Parasite. Oh, was it good? Oh, that was good, I Fucking brilliant. That. Yeah, I really did good. see that, yeah. Brilliant. Uncut um, Gems like a two, or, two and a half hour long panic attack. Yeah. Uh, I liked his film, The Host, as well. Yeah, The Host was amazing. Good. And then Snowpiercer as well. Snowpiercer. He's a great director, man. He's a really good director. Yeah. Um, so we're joining a chorus of people saying Parasite's good that's not exactly uh, much of a hot take is yeah no but it, do you know what's funny I went there on the Wednesday after it had won the Oscar so it was a meerkat you know two for one Wednesday at the GFT uh-huh. and my god the entire Southside and West End were all there it was hilarious it was Cheap like bastards, this is the place to be for people that read The Guardian <laughs> so uh, yeah and I was obviously one of them uh, in between um, that I was cutting about listening to really old dance music oh, because of mm. you David um, which isn't really something I expected to be doing uh, yeah I, do you know what we should just say before we go oh, on yes, this uh, is yes, we, we are recording this the day after hearing Andrew Weatherall had, has died at the age of 56 and he's somebody that we've touched upon a few times I think we first probably mentioned him in the Twilight Sad episode yeah we did but he's also he, been a, he was he was in Blank Mass Fuck Buttons episode yeah he was also in a couple of Next Eye mm-hmm. I think just mm-hmm. as a, an intermediary and yeah. yeah it's interesting that um, yeah last week we were talking about Britpop uh, this week we're talking about 90s dance music and Andrew Weatherall seems to be a titan in sort of both circles he straddles him definitely and yeah. in sort of just general British music circles he's gained legendary status um, yeah really odd thing like when I was listening to this record you know, you know Spotify does a thing where it automatically moves on to the next whatever yeah yeah, yeah. Screamed, like one of the songs Screamadelica came on uh, like, right yeah, after see. This, so. yeah so he produced Primal Screams Screamadelica that is seen as one of the massive points in melting together Indian dance culture and was a huge huge influence on sort of 90s alternative uh, lifestyle in yeah, the UK he, he, he did a really great job with Taro Sport as well the Fuck Buttons album
yeah gotta love a, a lot of praise for that um but yeah it's been absolutely it's been amazing seeing the massive amounts of outpouring of grief and respect him over the last 24 hours yeah i was pleasantly surprised that even folks that i would have assumed were of a generation where andrew weatherall didn't feature as much in their you know ecosphere of yeah like music, like everybody really. from like older f- folk uh you know like guys that have been around in peers like optimus twitch and tim burgess from the charlatans or whatever then to you know really young techno djs uh like even like huge guys like Daniel Avery but then like Glasgow DJs like Nightwave and people like that all just yeah huge amounts of respect for him and he just seems to be you know from the early days champion and Chemical Brothers before they were signed to I went to see him DJ in a little village hall in Sky last summer and it was fucking amazing just one of the most diverse crowds I've ever seen because there was techno heads that had travelled up from the south of England who still went to his regular raves and they'd been doing it for 40 years and then there was you know like 18 year olds down the front chewing their face off as well Mm -hmm. but like overall he's just like there at the front playing out bangers doing things his own way but um yeah it seemed like he could have been one of those superstar DJs in the 90s and he just said no, fuck it. I don't like that. I'm going to have to compromise too much. I'm just going to be Yeah, he decided myself. against making another fat boy slim, basically. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, a good, a good fucking lad who didn't give a fuck about being famous. So, um, yeah, it's interesting that we then go from Britpop to Orbital. Mm-hmm. So that is the album that we are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing Can I just say it? I, uh-huh. On the Andrew Weatherall theme, he remixed the Orb, and I definitely had problems <laughs> distinguishing between the Orb and Orbital. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness for search engines. Yeah, I mean, it's, in a way, like that's a good link, right? Because this, mm-hmm. this this Orbital album, uh, the middle of nowhere. Yeah, this comes out in 1999, so Britpop has just keeled over, basically. Yeah, you know, and this is actually a good link, I guess. Between well, yeah, this, I strad- think, this straddles Britpop yeah. as well, though, because mm-hmm. the totally, Orbital yeah. started in the '89, '89, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and th- they did sort of big remixes, and they were playing Glastonbury and stuff like that. And I w- we'll kind of go through Orbital mm-hmm. as a band, and maybe sort of that big mid '90s big beat boom that maybe basically took over from Britpop in '97, '98. Can I can I make a kind of observation because obviously we have a somewhat international listenership here. Yeah, of course. Orbital seems like a pretty big name for me, given that I grew up in the UK. And yeah, they seem massive to me as well, and I don't even know is, much of dance. Yeah, is is it a big thing abroad? I know they've done some soundtracks to some pretty big movies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. films that did have an international um, status, but do, do they have a following? Uh, well... They've got like I think they've got fairly decent Japanese following. You know, they do European festivals, but... Um, I'll maybe talk about that is that they never ever made it over to America in a big way even though like sort of 97, 98 was their their peak years they released four very well received records and then um, they were getting you know soundtrack slots on stuff like the Spawn and Event Horizon and a That's few right. other things and like that seemed like the time that they could have gone over there. That was the same year as The Prodigy's Fat The Land was released and Chemical Brothers' Dig Your Own Hole was released. And it was like a fucking massive time for British dance music. Uh, 1998 saw Fat Boy Slim come out with, um, you know, that big record with 
praise you and rock fell skank and all that. You've come a long way, baby. Yeah, you've come a long way, baby. That's right. And yeah, they. But I think kind of down to this album, funnily enough, uh, they never quite made the step over because they didn't go down that bombastic single route, uh, like single as in single track orientated route um, and decided to keep it a little bit more atmospheric ambient more sort of record based and yeah yeah it's interesting they just never quite made it as a big abroad and they're seen as a very English or very British 90s band we're maybe putting the cart before the horse here because theorising about why they didn't make that jump before we've actually talked about the band's Mm -hmm. history and stuff but I would say that in some of the interviews uh, and some of the sort of posthumous discussion of the band although they're back together now aren't they mm-hmm. yeah they've split up a couple, couple of times yeah, yeah. but I mean they only I mean you say split up they're brothers yeah you know um, so they've in, never had any bad blood really between them so in what was posthumous discussion shall we say so in articles that were written after breakups about their history as a band people mused on the fact that a huge part of Orbital was that they performed quite live for a dance and electronic band mm-hmm. um, they, they, they did a lot of live improvisation they had a lot of equipment there rather than it being a sort of press play yeah and that played a big part in their sound and a big part in their live shows especially on the Glastonbury show you mentioned but I think it also it didn't quite lend itself as well to those big singles mm-hmm. where everybody just wants to hear it exactly the way it is yeah so just play it exactly the way it is for this giant crowd so Orbital had more of a sort of live approach to it and more of a performative improvisational and, approach to it and funnily enough their biggest single is uh, from 1997 called Satan But it was a live version that they re- That's right, released yeah. of a track that was six years old, and they re-released that live version to sort of it was at that sort of big beat peak in nineteen ninety six ninety seven, uh, and that was the one that people jumped on. But it kind of was out of canon, as it were. Yeah. Um, so give us a bit of background on where they came from. So they yeah, so they're two brothers based in Kent, uh, Phil and Paul Hartnell. Um, they were of that late eighties sort of new summer of love um and yeah they were just central to that sort of rave uh scene and you know early 90s well late 80s early 90s um ecstasy acid fields illegal raves all that sort of shit even the name was sort of vaguely connected to that wasn't it, it was to do with the m25 yeah. waterway the orbital mm-hmm. that was key to people getting information about raves that were going down but they had to keep it off the grid because they would get shut down by the authorities yeah it's somehow tied into that i believe so yeah but they the two of them as well they're fairly quiet in the press but in they have talked about like their influences and stuff and much like andrew weatherall they are as much influenced by early electro as they are by punk rock and sort of post-rock sort of stuff uh, and you can definitely hear that throughout the records particularly in the 90s um that they have a lot of live instrumentation they you know bass lines and you know guitar riffs are important as much as you know synth melodies and percussion is huge in it yeah i feel like you hear a lot of post-punk percussion built into the the sort of drum beats yeah. and the breaks and well, stuff you like see that. the direction that certain post-punk bands went like bands like wire mm-hmm. who transitioned from sort of conventional almost post-punk band setup by the time they were doing stuff like manscape they were basically an electronic act yeah, completely. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, so in 1989 they released Chime and it was already a massive anthem in sort of uh, rave and club scenes. It was recorded in a cassette player under the stairs in their parents' house. Yeah, (laughs) which is mad because it then became a huge sort of track that was shared between DJs and then it was shared on mixtapes and stuff like that. And it got them on top of the pops. Yeah, yeah. So this was like, this was like absolute peak of Acid House and illegal rave sort of stuff. Yeah, they appeared on top of the pops uh, wearing anti poll tax t shirts as well. Yeah. And that's something that they will always have. They've always been fairly socially conscious and politically aware, lefty, environmentally aware as well. Little info bubble the poll tax for listeners that aren't aware. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're closer to. And you were alive more. <laughs> uh, I, I remember my dad being out in the protests against it. Yeah, so it was like an experimental uh, taxation system. To do like we we had like council rates were which were by property and area and value of property and this was a new method that was actually quite discriminatory towards the poorest in society and they decided they were going to use Scotland the country as a guinea pig for mm. it and experiment with this horrible taxation system on the country and there were a lot of protests uh, a, a lot of dissent around that and it was eventually abandoned. Yeah. Um, but it was a huge issue at the time and it was one of the few issues that managed in the modern era to, to mobilise large numbers of people on the streets. Probably the, the last such one before the uh, the second Iraq war protest. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And the non-history of the 90s. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of the end of that politicised 80s era. The yeah, I think so because Thatcher was then left and you had John Major who sort of just petered out a little bit and then, yeah, that kind of very sort of strange conservative cliche of, of a kind of slightly bumbling aye fairly benign not not good but not not like yeah, a, a not sinister Thatcher. not a sinister baddie <laughs> kind of yeah. figure yeah um, but yeah and it, it, it it, I, I'm not going to pretend that I like that song it's fucking rubbish <laughs> but it, it's very much of its time it's well that's much, it yeah. yeah and that's what's interesting is that I find so Orbital then went on to release uh, four very well critically received records in the 90s uh, two um and go through them I mean the debut one was yeah, so Orbital, really a collection of EPs and, and, and recordings that came out in 91 yeah so it was self-titled but it's seen uh, as the green album album. (laughs) Um, and that was released in 1991 and yeah that's like 76 minutes of interesting vibey early 90s techno it's got like loads of bleeps and bloops and space and it you can tell how you can see how it really marked them out as talented producers Um, is that the one that Satan was on? uh, no Satan wasn't on a record Satan was released in 1990 as an EP so see that that one I mean it, it clearly is really dated and it was them thinking mm-hmm. their feet there's an interesting thing that I think will become relevant to the one we're talking about that yeah. I find it very very cheesy but I also find it really, really sincere. Yeah, that's totally. it kind of what from, they do. It comes from like a really uncontrived place. Uh-huh. They're really, fi- I mean, not only them finding their sound, but the whole genre was finding its sound mm-hmm. and the technology was constantly changing at this point. And so it does have the sort of slightly antiquated sounds of what was available to them, mm-hmm. but also what was available to them 
at the start of their career when they had no budget. Because this is the other thing, as this band uh, gets more and more successful, yeah, they were always at the forefront of like trying out bits of equipment. You know, it's a bit like the Depeche Mode thing. Yeah. But early on, they, they couldn't afford the, the, the leading stuff, so they were having mm-hmm. to make sounds of what they had, which was still decent, but was not, you know, state-of-the-art top line stuff whereas by the time they get to like the albums in 1994 96 99 definitely in the 2000s they can they can the the production the the amount of time and money spent on the records is exponentially bigger and i don't necessarily know that they get the same returns from they certainly don't get exponentially better returns from the exponentially larger larger budgets and better access to equipment they have so although that is very dated that record there's something really likeable about it because it is so earnest and kind of yeah and you can tell that they're trying out little things there's like a ravey bit and then there's a big more spacey big beat bit and then there's like dubby bits Yeah, they're just trying out their sound. They're trying everything. So, as you said, the second the, the the second one's also called Orbital, but it's usually called the Brown Album, which yeah. is Orbital too, uh, depending on where you look. That is, it's it's got a lot in common with that first record. Yeah, more in common than it does with the third record. Mm-hmm. But it's so it's just much more sophisticated. It's just it's a good record. Actually. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah really I like it. Strong. I think it's one of the most listenable ones. There's some really great tracks, and I really like that track, uh, Lush Three One. Yeah, Lush Three One and Lush Three Two. Uh, I, you also see them moving into a more sort of continuous movement sort of thing, and like yeah. the songs go in and flow out of one another. Um, um, there's there's a thing in it. We're talking about the kind of lack of sophistication of it, but it it, it benefits the music. And I think, like, say for example, take examples from other genres like Joy Division or Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Joy Division and Jimi Hendrix clearly have. The, the recordings have dated but the recordings are better and uh, the, the character and the quality of them is still there whereas yeah. other recordings would date so I would say for example like grunge okay many grunge recordings have dated but not in a way that benefits the songs in a, in a way that makes the songs sound totally redundant and irrelevant now mm-hmm. so whilst a, a Hendrix recording you know of Crosstown Traffic sounds old it sounds better and more vibrant for sounding old like yeah. Sabbath yeah, or yeah, Cream totally. or anything like that Whereas there's there's another way you can date you can you can date in a way that's actually not complementary to your music yeah and I think this early orbital stuff has dated in a way that really benefits the music so like the track Halcyon uh, plus on plus on yeah Halcyon on a really good song man. I, I, like, uh, that was actually written about his mum's tranquilizer addiction apparently mm-hmm. or their yeah. mum's tranquilizer addiction a really good song that still sounds nice mm. despite 
the the evident fact that it's come from a different era yeah it doesn't sound like it should sound different yeah yeah it's similar to um like a couple of like extal and stuff like that tracks by apex twin Mm -hmm. that were of that time that you listen back and you go i mean yeah i'm in the 90s but i feel it's a good feeling about it exactly and it's like i said with wire and bands like that as well you're like yep this sounds dated but it sounds awesome Mm -hmm. we spoke about that when we did the passion episode way back at the start of this podcast you know there is i think it's also a lot more apparent in electronic music as well because it it dates like way quicker yeah absolutely and because when it comes to guitars and bass and all that tones can be revisited and recordings can be changed and remastered to make particular synth sounds are very much of a year pretty much Mm -hmm. you you got a lot of it in like 90s kind of soul kind of commercial hip-hop like the, the sort of 80s hip hop has dated in a way that is much more uh, it's kind of more aesthetically pleasing yeah, to the ear it's like, kinder yeah. to the music mm-hmm. yeah. and you hear a lot of the 90s hip hop where the production values were actually slightly higher but it doesn't it dates in a way that's actually detrimental to the sound mm-hmm. it's like oh god listen to fucking listen to that and it's the same like I said with grunge and some of the punk that came out then it, it, it sounds old not even as old mm-hmm. but it actually sounds worse for it and I totally. think that's a phenomenon mm-hmm. that's going to be interesting as we go on with their career because I think that ratio switches for me yeah yeah uh, 1994 they released Snivelization Uh, which is another good record I hate the name I know shite name <laughs> the cover's so weird um, and that was sort of related to the Criminal Justice Act that came out that year yeah. um, to do with criminalising or, or preventing yeah, raves illegal raves and, and moving on you know big travelling folk and stuff like that as well um, and I remember I think Music for the Jilted Generation by The Prodigy also had a big uh, in the inlay of the, that album they had a big artwork uh, which is very iconic of a guy um, having a rave in a field and then there's like a sort of Indiana Jones type rope bridge over and then this dark foreboding city and lots of policemen coming over and he's just about to cut the bridge with a machete and giving the finger to the police <laughs> and it's great and that's like very much the feeling of you know these DJs and producers and, and all the rave fans of the mid 90s they'd been doing this for five years having an amazing time and then you had the Conservative government coming in and just shutting down the fun for, you know, because they, they might cause a mess in a field. Or trying to. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, it's a good record. It's sort of kind of thinner production, um, it, a little bit th- more intricate. It's a little less dark. They, they'd uh, already been in the charts, and I feel yeah. like with this record, you can tell that there's a little bit of expectation on them now. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel quite as naive. It doesn't feel quite as kind of, not carefree, but you know you know what I mean? That yeah. It's like, there are concerns behind it, mm-hmm. and I think it loses something because of that. It adds a little bit of personality in when it brings in Alison Goldfrapp, and you've got like a human touch of a human voice there some of them um, I, I do think some of the some of the, the the female vocals on it are horrendous yeah um i mean i think crash and carry is like a pure cool yeah bustling rave track i've, I've kind of singled that one out on that album i think that's kind of the most pumping one on yeah. it It does sound dated, but 
it does still have a lot of character and a, a lot of energy behind it that comes across. Yeah, and then Are We Here is the track that sort of references the Criminal Justice Act, and that's like a yeah big interesting 15 minute long of electronic sort of progressive music. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, as well as sort of hinting at, you know, deliberately looking at the charts, they are also just fucking trying things out that are definitely not chart friendly as well got to number four on the album chart last night a record which yeah. is remarkable yeah pretty good um 1994 was also the year that they played a now legendary set at glastonbury um i can't remember it, they, it was televised by channel four for the first time and they are a band that took playing live very seriously and really tried to sort of do that as an art form in itself beyond you know releasing albums and you know as we said they had huge piles of instruments i remember seeing them on tv and they've just got you know keyboards up to 10 feet high in a huge sort of cage situation they wear uh glasses with little Mm -hmm. sort of mini torches pointing forwards that that was a big kind of like iconic thing for them was that the the lights on they either wore those minor lights on their head yeah which is like you know a very sort of welsh ravey type vibe yeah um, or they had the, the glasses with the lights at the side of them yeah and uh yeah and just in the dark with an amazing light show amazing visuals and that um yeah that set in glastonbury was yeah put on channel four for the first time in a long time well the festival was on tv for the first time and that really brought dance music and the underground sort of movement that had been happening to the mainstream for the first time i think a lot of people saw a rave for the first time and went holy fuck that looks amazing yeah they, they did point out that it had been really hard to get electronic music on major main stages or major festivals mainstream festivals as yeah. versus dance festivals yeah yeah it's interesting uh, it's my pal ben just uh, recently found an old poster somewhere for like a huge rave in a field near dumfries in 1992 hmm. like that was the sort of thing that was happening a lot in you know just the countryside in scotland and england and wales your people were just having mad fucking huge raves with forty thousand people turning up and buses you know and everything and it was this huge underground movement and then, yeah, suddenly even Michael Evis has said this was the first time that the British public saw it on their TVs and saw, oh, above ground. that looks, you know, like yeah. something I could maybe enjoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think that that show as well has made a number of lists of, like, best concerts ever. You know, yeah. famously good concerts, you know, yeah. sort of up there with Hendrix at Isle of Wight, kind of that kind of thing. And yeah. it's, it's really uh, famous. Um, now, I'm going to be a little bit smug. I didn't know anything about Orbo really other than, you know, a bit of Satan and, and yeah, th- yeah. things like that. Um, Satan, by the way, is that the one that samples the butthole surfers? Oh yeah, that's right. It's, it's Gibby Haynes, it's at the start of it, I'm sure. Yeah, um, what does regret mean? Um, so all I noticed was there was a lot of stuff online mm-hmm. and going through it, the one that kept coming back to me that I liked was this record called Insides. Uh-huh. And I'm pretty chuffed to know that now looking at all the lists, yeah. it is unanimously seen as their best record. The best record. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are on board with <laughs> dance music fans. <laughs> My guts are amazing. Um, Insides in 96 is their best one. It's the, the darkest one though, isn't it? 
Yeah, I'd say so. Um, they're like sort of trying things out, stretching rhythms, um, but they also simplify melodies and stuff like that and sort of overall simplify the record. It's not quite as proggy and you don't quite get as lost in it, even though the underlying music is a bit darker and a bit I, more interesting. I don't want you to confuse the phrase not quite as proggy though. I found it a more interesting record yeah. than the other ones. Um, it's maybe easier. Well, I think maybe it holds your attention a bit easier. Yeah, it's maybe easier to navigate is, is probably yeah, a way yeah, of yeah. that. And it is still quite dated in places, but it, it holds up really well because when it's dated, it tends to compensate for it with a really interesting idea. The, the tones quite often pin it a wee bit in the past mm-hmm. but a lot of the a lot of the things they're trying are actually really really innovative mm-hmm. some really filthy sounds in that 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 uh, record I remember is it um, Petrol yeah. is one that's got this really ugly kind of grindy tone that goes under it and it's it's sort of doesn't really match with the rest of the song it's just it's, it's asynchronous kind of waveform that they've just ground through the bottom of this song to muddy it up and it works really well. It gives it an edge that a lot of the other stuff lacks. Yeah. Um, it's like the other stuff can be either too sparse or too clean or just, you know. This is my one complaint about Orbital is that I find it. It's all very precise. It's yeah. All, like, I, I know they sometimes add a bit of saturation on it or get it a wee bit crunchy, but it, it still feels very much like a computer. You know, and, mm. and, and I think that part of it alienates me a wee bit. I do like electronic stuff, but I like it to be a wee bit, have a bit of the analogue about it, and yeah. sometimes they lack it. Whereas I think on this one, they get the closest to that. I'd heard, uh, it turns out when I rest, listened to this album, I'd heard Petrol before on the Wipeout soundtrack. Oh, really? That's right, yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah. it. It's like very Wipeout-y. And yeah, there's a song on the other record as well, which, yeah. is, which is also on the Wipeout soundtrack, and it just totally fits. Like, it's because that game is just, at the time it was rapid you know what I mean yeah so, totally yeah. Uh, that, I don't know how you actually say the name of the track the D-W-R-B-U-D-R that's Welsh isn't it yeah Durbudur <laughs> whatever if you're Welsh please phonetically spell that underneath um it, Really cool song, really dark, uh, kind of evolving thing. It's got the um, Alison Goldfrapp on that one as well. Mm-hmm. But I think I prefer what she does in that song to what she's done in some of the previous stuff. Uh, I think she's credited as Auntie, is that right? That's, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like A-U-N-T-I-E. Um, and the first track in it, Girl With The Sun In Her Head, that's uh, recorded using a mobile Greenpeace solar generator. Yeah, of course. There you go. So they're Why always, not? They were quite a political band. Like yeah, for, for an electronic yeah. band, it can be hard to kind of cram messages into those. But on already a number of the songs that we've mentioned do have quite a lot of political content, or they're not context-free. You know, you, you the, the band weren't uh, living in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. They're quite engaged with the things around them and doing some quite kind of cutting-edge stuff with their messaging. Yeah. So Insides was released in 1996, and then after that very well received in 1997 they had the biggest year of their career without actually releasing a record they contributed to the saint Uh, oh, terrible film, but <laughs> James I mean, Bond, was, uh, light, sort of. Yeah, um, who, who was it? Val Kilmer? Val Kilmer, yeah. Um, 
I remember I used to watch the TV show The Saint with Roger Moore and it. it was actually pretty good. Uh, Event Horizon Spawn, where they did uh, a Satan with Kirk Hammett mm. playing live guitar over it. Uh, Let's take a moment to point out that Event Horizon is by far the best film we've mentioned yet. Oh, it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> That's such a good film. Let's not skin by that. Um, the only good thing Paul W.S. Anderson's done. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, the soundtrack for The Saint got to number three in the UK, I believe, as did their live version of Satan, which is like a six-year-old song. And then the track uh, Out There Somewhere Part 2 also uh, appeared on the long-awaited game Test Drive 4. <laughs> now, I do not remember that <laughs> game at all. Um, but yeah, so funnily enough, 1997, this is the year that Fat the Land by Prodigy was released, that Dig Your Own Hole by Chemical Brothers was released, that Homogenic by Bjork was released, that Homework by Daft Punk was released. So it was a fucking huge time for electronic music, and particular big beat sort of dance UK music. Uh, and then Orbital were right in the middle of it had really helped create it had released a couple of the biggest singles of it but they didn't quite have an album that went at that sort of time as well and certainly Insides as much as it was well received it didn't have the singles that they could you know like Firestarter or Breathe or Mm -hmm. Block Rock and Beats that could then go to MTV and get an American audience and this is where I go back to this is maybe why they just didn't quite get that international audience that the other bands then did so yeah then in 1999 they released Middle of Nowhere which is the album that we'll be talking about Uh, two years later The All Together which I kind of feel is the band it's the first time that I feel the band sounds dated at the time Like when it comes out, mm. it, they are yeah. releasing stuff that sounds like it's happened before rather than them pushing boundaries. I actually think that there are moments on Middle of Nowhere, we'll go through it in more detail, but I think there's moments in that where you can tell they've been slightly taken aback by how good the Prodigy were yeah. at that yeah, point. Yeah. I think there's a couple of moments in that you're like, what does this sound most like? It sounds a bit like Prodigy and yeah. Prodigy did this two years prior. So I think that this, you're right, there's an inflection point in around here mm-hmm. where they, they, they stop being ahead of things and they start yeah, definitely. on it and then eventually slightly behind it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's probably seen as their weakest record if not, they start to be a band yeah, that I don't are think, referencing... I don't think the recent one hasn't made yeah, too much a claim. They're... They start to be a band that reference themselves and their past music more than, you know, trying out new things. Um, they did a soundtrack for a horror movie called Octane in 2003. Um, I mean, who can blame them, you know? They're coming back now when all their mad Dosser kid rave fans, when they were young, yeah. now have loads of disposable income because ah, yeah, totally. they're much better off. So it's like, wait a while until these kids get proper jobs mm-hmm. and then just go on nostalgia tours mm-hmm. when they've got way more to spend on, like, Merchandise. I mean, look at fucking Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, All their little no, socialist but... fans are now paying £105 a ticket. I know, for VIPs. $300 a ticket. You know, it's... There you go. Uh, they released the Blue Album in 2004, which was better received than altogether. Why do they copy all their album names from Weezer? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know, exactly. I love the Burn Album by Weezer. It's fucking great. Uh, <laughs> and this has got some more ambient stuff I going on. All their later some albums are albums. <laughs> um, it's a fine record. It's all right. Uh, 
Uh, but they split up for the first time after this in 2004. Uh, one of the last ever shows I was there at Tea in the Park in 2004. It was fucking amazing. Uh, there is apparently a pattern on Orbital's records when they when they release an album that is more kind of dance orientated, mm-hmm. it uses the oval on the front. Yeah, and when yeah, they release yeah. a record that they consider it would be more poppy, yeah. they, they turn the, the oval into a circle. Yeah. And then they released an album called Wonky, which I'm sure you're about to talk about, that yeah. kind of plays on that. Yeah, so in 2012 they came back. Well, they'd been doing some big tours and they, after a couple of years, they realised, oh, we should maybe make some music, some new music to go with the all the big fucking lucrative festivals that we're doing so they released wonky in 2012 and it's like a mix of callbacks to some of their coolest stuff from the 90s some new techno ideas Yeah, and yeah, as I say, it's kind of more about callbacks in their own career than, yeah, doing new stuff. Um, there is some, some people like it, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, do you know what? It's got some cool stuff on it. It just, it doesn't stand, it's not a standout record in the uh, timeline of electronic music. Mm-hmm. And it's not a standout record in the timeline of Orbital, but it's not shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, then in 2018, they released Monsters Exist, mm-hmm. which may be the first time that you can hear they've been influenced by modern electronic dance music. They've maybe listened to some EDM and shit like that. Mm -hmm. And there's some heavy sounds. Again, some nice euphoric callbacks to the 90s. Quite like a couple of tracks on it, but yeah, it's not definitely not them at their peak either. Mm. So yeah, that's where they are. So middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere. So yeah, interestingly enough, um, I bought this record because it had a song called Style on it at the end, and which I is had, very different from the rest of the. Record. Well, yeah, but yeah. funnily enough, I had heard it was an advert on BBC Scotland for an upcoming Scotland. It must have been European Championship qualifier <laughs> and like John Collins was playing and Colin Hendry. It was that era, 1998-1999 when we were like still not shit. We were trying to get to We'd another tournament. Cup, yeah, yeah, exactly. We could um, be not shit, but then... And the soundtrack was this <laughs> fucking amazing track. Uh, and I don't know how I found it because this was like obviously years before Shazam, but I found out that the song was Orbital Style. And I bought this record and I skipped to track eight and I was like, oh, or, you know, this is like back in the days when I got one CD a month because I, I was 11. I remember phoning Radio Scotland yeah. to tell them I'd been listening to the radio at such and such time. Could they tell me what song it was? was <laughs> yeah, on? well, maybe I did that. I don't know. <laughs> the song that I'd heard on the advert was this huge big beat version and it had bagpipes in it. Oh, and God. that was like Jeez, why um, it was on, you know, the Scottish football advert and it was like, Big fucking prodigy style. I was I was ten years old, but I was hugely into the prodigy and Kevin like was, I was a little yeah. Well, no, it was fucking. It was great. <laughs> and when I listened to this style on this record, I was like, oh, that's way not what I was expecting. <laughs> this is like a little thin stylophone happy melody sort of thing. 
But anyway, I would have been 12 or 13 when this record came out and I hadn't quite got into metal as much as I would, but um, I was still sort of in my dance phase. But yeah, somehow I just totally, totally clicked with this record and I used to play it fucking absolutely non-stop. And yeah, it's a, for me, it's an interesting record. It's You've only been old enough to drive a, a Nova. Well, oh man, I'd, I'd have loved a fucking Nova or a wee Fiesta XR2 or something. Um, yeah, I find it, it's a, it's a weird record and that it never really quite get talked about ever um, by Orbital fans, and certainly not by dance music fans talking about you know the big albums of the nineties. It was released slightly just after that huge boom in dance music. It had the Prodigy and Chemical Brothers had released huge stuff, um, Fatboy Slim, uh, and you know stuff like that were massive. And yeah, the U- the UK was like sort of mad was ready and mad for like big huge heavy beats um and then the album came out and obviously it was like orbital had released four very well critically received records so everybody listened to it and everybody oh yeah no that's a good record but i had nothing that was like bombastic or stuck out there was no huge singles on it there were no fire starters there was nothing Mm -hmm. like that got to number four and it sort of slinked out of out of the album charts and sort of into obscurity and yet and yet, for me, it's been interesting going back to it, but I do, it's not an album that I haven't listened to for 20 years. I do go back to it every couple of years. And I I personally think this is Orbital's best record overall as a listen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like their most rounded, most satisfying listen from start to end. And I think it sort of just flows best as a, as a piece of work. Um, I think it's interesting because it works within quite narrow parameters compared to their previous four records. I think they're choosing from a smaller sonic palette. They've sticking with certain synth sounds and certain, um, you know, drum sounds. I think overall the production is very clean, but yet quite forward thinking and progressive, you're quite probably, futuristic. You're probably right about the palette because it is quite hard in this track and until you become, on uh, this album, until you become familiar with the tracks, to know when you're into the next track, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like there are a lot of similarities in the tones, and it's not that's not a criticism. It, it, it has a consistency to it as a mm-hmm. result of it, I, and I think a bit like uh, Insides, it has a, f- a few tracks that have dated well. Yeah, um, but I also think I'd, the majority of it, I think, is see. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. have the nostalgia value to be. Yeah, that's honest. and that's what I was interested in talking about as well, and that this is a very nostalgic album for me going back to a very naive time in my life or an innocent time in my life, you know, slight, just prepubescent. You've never had an innocent time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think for what some people will see as its weaknesses, I see kind of as, as its strengths. Like I, I used to love to put this on to fall asleep to. I used to always fall asleep to music until I got in a podcast and I listened to podcasts <laughs> to fall asleep to. I'm scared to be alone as well, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is like an album that I just, I, I'd put it on, but I'd sort of stay awake for half an hour to listen to, you know, to most of it and then gently fall asleep. Uh, I also love to put it on when I was playing video games because <laughs> I was, I did play video games wh- between the ages of 11 and 14 before I discovered uh, your penis my penis <laughs> I uh, play a lot of video games by the way uh, <laughs> he's forgot about his penis <laughs> yeah yeah um, and like so I was 
this is back in like 99, 2000 and I was playing shoot 'em ups like Unreal and MD- Goldeneye. Nah, I didn't have a go. I I was a I had a Mac, so I didn't have a consoles mm. but it was like unreal and mdk do you remember that yeah uh went quite close to this actually yeah that's true if we ever do a video game spin-off mdk is an unsung classic video game but then things <laughs> like i've Quake. got a few things to say about that but we can talk about that on the other show <laughs> uh, uh, yeah and to me this was like a perfect soundtrack to futuristic sci-fi worlds um the melodies and the synth sounds and all of those things that maybe in context or without that nostalgic factor have dated to me makes it very timeless for me i, I think also the scenarios you described whether it's video games or falling asleep halfway through are ones that don't highlight the fact that it gets pretty baggy just beyond the halfway point in this record yeah i i, I mean going back to it with a critical ear there are definitely chubby bits that I would cut out if I could. Um, Do you want to take us on a wee tour? Yeah, so um, I, do, I was just going to say though, funnily enough this came. I realised this came out around the same time as The Matrix mm-hmm. and it would be an ideal soundtrack for The Matrix and I think yeah, The would. Matrix and The Matrix soundtrack. Or maybe to the big horrendous underground <laughs> rave. <laughs> the rave. Where well, you then see Keanu Reeves' bum as yeah. well. Jesus. Um, but yeah, I think The Matrix... No, he, he is Jesus. That's the yeah, point. That's yeah. the whole point. Yeah. He is, I he think is The, the Matrix and The Matrix soundtrack were so heavily, were very heavily influenced by Orbital and the worlds and sounds that Orbital had created. Um, so yeah, well, that was just a funny wee aside. But yeah, anyway, so on this we start with Way Out. So kicks in with like sort of big synthy splashes and yeah this is like going back to that thing you were doing with uh, you talked about in the first two records where it's quite naive sort of big simple melodies mm-hmm. but it works for that i like the tones that this starts with um a nice don't, chimey chingy stuff yeah i, th- I think I, it, I also like the fact it's a bit of a space mexican vibe let's go yeah, yeah, it's yeah. definitely I've got, it definitely has like that dia derbyshire influence like that they can totally hear the love doctor who uh-huh yeah and yeah obviously that later go on and play a factor in their career but you can this uh, this song would be Perfect for Doctor Who like soundtrack for sure, man. Yeah. Like, you I, can hear it. Oh yeah, we did mention they had a Doctor Who cover uh, on the All Together. Yeah, mm-hmm. All Together. Um, Make them up again. I'm not into the the vocals. I think it's something that really. Sully's this this for me. It's uh, a nineties dance thing, right? Like this oh, yeah, the amorphous just, female vocal. Like yeah, just, I know because <laughs> when you're singing not, on Ekis, you need to know there's a human there. Yeah, it's an, <laughs> the thing is, it's a nineteen ninety nine yeah, dance totally, record. Yeah. There was people Absolutely doing other agree. stuff, Absolutely and agree. I don't think it yeah. does it any favors. Uh, it's right at the end of that, and I think mm-hmm. uh, it kind of drags it back. Yeah, because oh. you've got like the big beats sort of stuff, and the the brass backing actually is really nice. That the production like builds up and builds up and then yeah maybe the f- the female vocals let it down a bit or date it a little bit before yeah. it then it then breaks down around seven minutes uh and sort of starts merging into the next track mm-hmm. which is spare parts sp- spare parts express which is one of their strongest tracks overall yeah it's much more spiky it's more organic 
sort of slightly playful. It's got a great use of the envelope, the, like the envelope work at the start of that track, the way it's yeah. the song just emerges. Is really really good. I, I like that. It's one of the most aggressive moments, like one of the most mm. standout kind of uh, confident moments. Yeah, totally. And then like at five minutes, it breaks down, and you've got little melodies coming in. And um, then at seven forty, it gets really fucking heavy. You're skimming way ahead, but just I want to say, see, just one thing that really fucks me off about this tune is around about one minute fifty, they start to make. Uh, key changes and mm-hmm. uh, sorry chord changes in the the arp that's sort of the theme that's running through it yeah i think those chord changes are really clunky there's, there's, as somebody that uses arps it just feels really poorly executed you know maybe with the advantage of like hindsight it, it, there's something that doesn't sit well with the way those chords change i love the filter stuff they do around about six six and a half minutes that stuff's great yeah like it goes really well but th- th- at this point i'm still like a little bit sort of jaded by that weird decision with, with those underlying chords it, it, it doesn't really do it for me at all um it's i got mean a big vangelis lead playing on it as well which yeah, quite like yeah yeah a totally 80s kind of thing i will say i love the end of this song Yes, yeah, it's really from 740. Like, it just goes like this really gonzo thing, like you're totally. playing Rainbow Island or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's, totally. it's, it's, it's really good. It's it's like a, it's a very, it's just a really interesting direction that I think a lot of other, not just electronic acts, but even like metal and mathy rock acts like the Locust and stuff, kind of went in that direction mm-hmm. where they started doing this really madcap sort of electronic stuff at, at, at the end of tracks and. That, that bit of it's really inspired. By the way, this track also has a sample that we used in Newsround. <laughs> <laughs> John Craven's Newsround. Brilliant. Uh, we then move in and Nowhere to Run, which is like way darker, more industrial. I think this is a really good song. Yeah, I like this like yeah. big cool bass line. Noisy, used in uh, wipe out the song when you can totally tell because it does have that proper industrial feel. Uh, it's got some really crunchy digital distortion on it. Yeah, I think they use a lot of FM synthesis in this, so it's specific kind, and uh, it works really well. Mm-hmm. Especially that chimes thing at the intro, um, and that bass line that arrives about one minute fifty is really good. way it creeps in because I mean it takes its time to get going that song it's almost two minutes yeah. before you have a bass line it's, it's got this ambience I mean yeah none of the songs yeah. on this record are less well only one is less than six minutes they're all about the seven eight nine ten minute now this is the song where I felt they're they gave away the fact that they were really impressed with what Prodigy were doing. I had nowhere to run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the drums that come in is very, it really reminds me of that Voodoo People era yeah. Prodigy sort of stuff. And it's like, it is a good track. They're good at doing it. I like the aggressive sort of vocals and drums 
it is a big beat track but yeah i can you can tell within the context of it that they're trying that out and that's maybe like their oh can we do a big fucking mm. It works. Arena it, dance track. It, it works. Unfortunately, it sounds like somebody that something that someone close to them has done though, a couple of years prior. Yeah. Um. It is, I don't. I don't really rate the, the, the breakdown at five ten. I think that dates it a bit. But I do think it ends really well. The squelchiness of the filters and stuff yeah. in the end mm-hmm. is really good. I don't know you people. I don't know you people. To me, really dated. One, one of the more dated tunes they do. Bassline is decent, but the vocals in it just don't hold up at all to me. I well, like the drum sound on it, even though it is very dated sounding. This one reminds me of Spawn, by the way. This reminds me Aye. of those kind of like Crystal Method, you know. Yeah, those m- those kind of mix up recordings because it tries to be a little bit metal almost. Aye, definitely. They've got like the the big guitar, like a lot of live instrumentation going on here. Um, I feel like this is yeah this is maybe another aggressive one that's um, they've definitely you know gone let's try a prodigy yeah. sort of vibe going on there's a super whack decision as well with a kind of Wurlitzer noise at the end it's a really mm. really odd tone <laughs> that doesn't um, uh, then Otonio Otonio uh, this goes back to like sort of being more ambient Has Alison Gold frap on vocals? No, is this not uh, the one that's done with Puka, which is the two piece? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a two piece uh, in, kind of acoustic indie band who are, I think are defunct now. Yeah, but and it's got that kind of it's got a combination of like this mumbly female vocal, Aye. but then it's got a much more singy female vocal. Which, by the way, oh, yeah, that's right. it, she keeps going down to this weird diminished note, which really reminds me of Mike Patton. Mm. It's the kind of thing he would have done in the more croony Faith No More tracks. Yeah. Um, and and the vocals are, I don't I, I don't know I couldn't I couldn't really decide what I felt about the mumbly thing. It's like a really interesting idea, but it did also felt like it was like throwing a blanket over something. It was like it, it kind of dampened the whole thing. I, I, I couldn't come to a decision on that one. I thought it was quite hypnotic the female vocal doing I mean, that. Like it's it certainly interesting. I get, can't it can't criticise them for not. Yeah, I, I like that it. one. Is it's it's quite a nice ambient sort of atmospheric one. Um, then nothing left. One and two, nothing left. Sorry, one. Th- this is the one with gold frap on it. Sorry, right. Nothing left. One sounds like the chase music from a born film. Kind of creepy, isn't it? Like, I think it's yeah. so basic. Man. I really. One of the notes I made as well was that at one point it sounds like the closing credits of a film about sexy psychic vampires in a space war. Yeah. 
I'd love to see that. <laughs> In fact, that film exists. Uh, oh, fuck, what's it called? There was like an early 80s film about space vampires and it's fucking brilliant. It's probably where I got it then. I think Tob Hooper, Tob Hooper directed it, in fact. Uh, anyway... Let's find Unsung it. movies, that's the third <laughs> spin-off. <laughs> we are taking pitches for our video game, football and movie spin-off podcast, <laughs> yeah, by the way. Christ. So, uh, nothing left to... I, I just think it... I think this is the one that is chubby and could be it's a, down. It's a really stinking segue. The kind of cheesy rave way that they yeah. segue into the second part of this song. And at this point, it's like sexy dancing psychic space vampires. <laughs> this time on the run during a space war. Perhaps from Robodogs. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm in. But yeah, I think Nothing Left 1 and 2. Like, overall, it, they totally fit the vibe of the album and... I've just realised that's probably around the time that I would fall asleep listening to this <laughs> exactly. record. That's what I'm saying. It's um, like, so you weren't having to so grapple be, with the fact that it was a little bit baggy at this point. Yeah, or it feels like it's maybe I'm into the boss level on Unreal or whatever, <laughs> yeah. so I'm not paying attention as it, much. It just feels like it's run out of steam a little bit yeah. at this stage. But then it comes back with style. Style's really nice. It's, it's so different. Um... That synth at the start made me feel sick when I heard it. I had a really weird feeling in my ear when uh, I was listening to it. Have you ever heard the, the, the style of music called Cosmiche? It's like a German kind of version of kraut music. That uh-huh. was kind of, it, was, it was electronic. It wasn't like kraut in the kind of sense of can and stuff. It was like sort of much closer to Kraftwerk, but it kind of landed somewhere in between it. Beak do a lot of it. Uh-huh. Um, and this has a really kind of like. Have you ever you've heard the band Emeralds or the guy Mark McGuire and all those yeah, kind of yeah, spin-offs? Yeah, Steve Howshild. They, yeah, they're yeah. kind of there's like a, a lot of those kind of people are in about that kind of style of music, and this really reminds me about that. Yeah. Um, and it's got that little pop hook thing in the middle, in the middle, which is quite nice. It's it's slightly forgettable as a track. Um, I'm glad it's not the version with bagpipes. Oh um, yeah, well maybe <laughs> I'll send you that, and we can put it in, and you can see how you you com- it compares. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the album's fine. It's got some really good moments. Uh, it, it's it's hard for me to place exactly why I feel this one has more or less dated in a negative way. Unlike say like the first the, the second one, for example. Um, I think it's got maybe too many corny moments that kind of pull me out. Yeah. Um, and uh, a couple of times it tries too hard, like the Prodigy sort of tracks three and four, a couple of those moments, and a bit too much, like you said, them trying to make a bid for a big blockbuster kind of thing. Even though it's not really, it doesn't really seem to be in their nature to write those kind of songs. I would, it, yeah. it would have been better if they'd stuck with what felt more natural. Yeah. Um, I can I can get why you get it. I'd, like I've got albums like this in my back catalogue as well, but I think having only... I'm a new arrival at the band. I think the best album is Insides, but I think the album I would have chosen as the most unsung is probably the second one. Yeah. Um, which is the brown one, brown, right? Brown, yeah. Yeah, which I thought was old-fashioned, but in a good way. Like I said, a bit more like that kind of Hendrix Cream Joy Division, like where the, the, the oldness of it, the datedness of it actually helps it mm-hmm. versus just making it sound like mm, it didn't quite last. Mark? Mm. Whatever. 
<laughs> cool. That's what you pay for, folks. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I, I find it really hard to identify with this kind of dance music. Techno yeah. doesn't really do anything for me. Um, there's, there's some moments in this that I really enjoyed, don't get me wrong. And there's moments throughout the discography that I really enjoyed, but yeah. there's nothing, never really, there was never really anything that pulled me together. From, yeah. So. I kind of, I didn't have great hopes of either of you liking it kind of because I knew it was a very nostalgic one and a very personal one for me yeah and I don't think it's necessarily seen as an important or iconic one in Orbital's career I think Orbital are an interesting band to have talked about because I think they're vastly influential in dance music culture Um, it's just for me going through Orbital's discography their early stuff because I didn't have that nostalgic listen this was the first record I ever listened to the early stuff just sounds too dated for me and I don't have that attachment to it that gets me through it sounding like early 90s stuff and I don't think it's as good as uh, 92 to 97 era Aphex Twin I think this record for me because of that smaller sonic palette and the fact that it it, yeah, it lags a little bit, and yeah, it's got some cheesy bits, but for me, it, it's just a very satisfying whole. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how it works for me. Oh, um, I'm glad that, I'm glad you picked it. I'm glad I listened well, to it. Thanks. So, um, yeah, dance music is great. <laughs> uh, what, how, we've got to do a Nexus. This was one of the easiest Nexus we've ever done. Yeah. yeah if, think- you, if you go on Orbital's Wikipedia, folks, you will see... Any number of off ramps to end, like pretty much every every yeah. single aspect of the entire universe, and we had to get to Doug Stanhope. Yeah, which was back after the show last week because we forgot to do it. Yeah, um, so and Doug Stanhope was chosen by somebody on Twitter. Somebody on Twitter, yes. and uh, <laughs> yeah, it turns out Doug Stanhope it was also has. Bannon. I think it was. Race yeah, it was. Bannon. It was race banning. So Doug Stanhope, the alternative American comedian, he's a donor as well, by the way. Doug um, Stanhope. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. He wouldn't pay for this shit. So. This <laughs> <laughs> is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store this for us? Not good for- Why am I here? You're in the Nexus. This is the Nexus. For you, this is what you want. Uh, right, so I go first. So wait a minute though, right? There were, like, I'm curious to see what angles we took here because we could list a, a number that we didn't take. <laughs> There's so many. Uh, so I decided to go down the Mortal Kombat route. <laughs> I didn't even see that one. Uh, yeah, they, I think there was a remix of Halcyon. On Mortal uh, Kombat, yeah. Appeared oh, no, on Mortal I did, Kombat. I did, yeah. The oh, movie, 1995. What a film. Okay, I take it back. Mortal Kombat is better than Event Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you're probably, you're that, probably right now. No, that is not true at all. <laughs> uh, so Mortal Kombat combat also directed by Paul W.S. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, starring, so much who's it starring? Christopher Lambert. Yeah. Christopher Lambert. Christopher Lambert uh, as Raiden, of course. The He's the, Why not? He's the guy yeah. that just flew he's about. A, he's lightning dude. That's a lightning uh, dude. Yeah. Uh, so Christopher Lambert, I think, 
everybody knows him famously as the Scottish man <laughs> uh, in Highlander, which also featured a Spanish man uh, played famously by Sean Connery. Wait a minute, that wait a minute. Spanish man. Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez so Juan Sanchez actually turns out that he's Egyptian <laughs> oh yeah that's right yeah, he's an Egyptian yeah, yeah. guy playing a Spanish an guy Egyptian immortal by a Scottish guy yeah that's totally true <laughs> right, so Sean Connery I've, I haven't done this for a while here's a photo of Sean Connery and Billy Connolly good Scottish pals so much Connolly they, uh, they are actually pals they, especially in the 80s they discussed like Billy Connolly went to Sean Connery for acting um, tips and stuff like that uh, and he was like shag everything aye, just <laughs> dish some shagging uh, Billy Connolly the legendary Scottish comedian was one of can I just say it would be shag everything <laughs> was one of about a hundred celebrities stroke comedians who appeared in a film called The Aristocats. Oh, I've seen oh, that. Yeah. Which yeah. was, yeah. The like Penn a, and Teller helm thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was a documentary about the joke, The Aristocrats, um, which is basically an anti-joke. And it's also an in-joke amongst comedians where they tell this joke and try and make it as profane and as hilariously offensive as possible. It's quite an interesting And film. then the... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the punchline itself is a total letdown. It's all about that build-up and the art of being profane. Um, I, I remember I got that DVD uh, when I was a teenager and it had, f- yeah, it's got fucking everybody. Billy Connolly, uh, Carrie Fisher, Drew Carey, George Carlin, um, Bob Saget, uh, and uh, a very young Doug Stanhope also does his um, take on the Aristocats joke. Which I'm sure is NS. It is, uh, yeah, it's um, pretty grim. (laughs) Quite graphic, involves blood. Yeah, Doug has, uh, he's got, he's even recently, he's had some patchy moments. Yeah. I don't think his his weighing in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing went particularly well for him. And Mm. there's been a couple of things like that on his part. I've seen him, have you seen him live? He's actually pretty good. I've seen him a bunch of times live. I've got less impressed every time I've seen him. Mm -hmm. Last time I saw him uh, at the... A academy in Glasgow which is a huge venue for him it was really underwhelming mm-hmm. um, the time I saw him at the King's Theatre in Glasgow which is much smaller I was there I was, was, that, I was astonishingly that one. good that, one. that was yeah, it was fucking amazing tremendous mm-hmm. so that will come up in mine actually um, Mark you want to go next yeah so uh, in 2001 I came out we've kind of spoken about it already uh, Orbital did a song called Doctor 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 uh, on the All Together soundtrack Um they later got on to play Glastonbury in 2010 and they played that very song where they were joined on stage by the 11th Doctor from Doctor Who, Matt Smith. Um, Matt Smith, like I said, played the 11th Doctor. Uh, he was replaced by Peter Capaldi, who was then replaced by Jodie Whittaker, who's the current Doctor. But before Doctor Who, before Broadchurch, before she became even that famous, uh, she appeared in the entire history of You, the Black Mirror episodes. Oh yeah, I remember that. Um, and... Uh, Black Mirror was written by Charlie Brooker, who is kind of mostly well-known in the UK for his Wipe series, like Newswipe and Gameswipe and all that. Mm-hmm. And Doug Stanhope used to be in Newswipe, and he used to always start with, I'm Doug Stanhope, that's why I drink. Yep. There's some good bits in that as well, yeah, some of his best bits in those. Uh, okay, uh, Orbital played the opening ceremony of the London 2012 Paralympics. Uh, at that ceremony, watching Orbital play, funnily enough, was the Queen. <laughs> Obviously. A big rave head. <laughs> Mad in it. <laughs> a banger tune of face. Uh, Charles, uh, but also Prince Andrew, who we've probably not heard much about recently, oh, yeah. and Sarah Ferguson, a.k.a. Fergie. Fergie. His, his, uh, his ex-wife, ex-wife? 
they divorced. Yeah, yeah, that was like late 80s. They but I wasn't sure of the, the actual divorce or just separated permanently. I'm oh, yeah, sure. definitely divorced. Uh, anyway, uh, so together they have uh, a daughter called Princess Beatrice. Uh, and in, in 2008, there was a controversy after Beatrice, her, her weight was publicly criticised uh, by a telegraph, a, a Daily Telegraph, which is a very conservative newspaper in the UK, journalist uh, and sort of author of like really bad chick lit sort of sex in the city, subsex in the city type garbage, uh, a woman going by the name of Alison Pearson. Um, and then Alison Pearson apparently refused to take Fergie's calls when Fergie tried to pull her up on this. Mm. Um, but it was it was a bit of a fuss. Uh, it was done on, I think it, this all transpired on a famous TV show over here called This Morning. Um, Alison Pearson uh, ha- also publicly came out to voice a loud uh, conservative opinions about assisted suicide. Um, she's, she's a very conservative columnist. She's had a lot to say about um, people like Rebecca Long-Bailey, uh, who's uh, vying for Labour leadership over here? She's yeah, she's she's a definite card carrying Tory, and and to the right of that party, I think as well. In 2012, another controversy involving uh, Alison Pearson was when she accused Doug Stanhope of bullying her after uh, <laughs> he said it partly because of her comments about assisted suicide. Um, she had. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Partly because of the comments about assisted suicide, she had uh, incurred his ire, and I'll explain why. But he went online and said, Alison, uh, I just went Christian so I can pray that you get a fetid ovarian cyst. <laughs> Let me know if it works. <laughs> now, that, that did not go down well with a lot of people yeah. who accused him of being a misogynist and an online bully. And, you know, there was a lot of that. It's, it, what transpired was that her comments about assisted suicide being, you know, cowardly and or at least implying that it was somehow a cop-out in any way. Doug Stanhope's mum committed suicide. But Doug Stanhope's mum committed suicide in fairly astonishing circumstances. Now, this is Mm. actually something that... He talks about. He talked about at the show we were at, at the King's Mm -hmm. Theatre. And it's one of the... It is honestly one of the top three moments I've ever seen of stand-up comedy. Yeah, I totally agree, man. completely taken aback. Brilliant. Like, speechless. Because he set this up as though he was just laughing off his kind of misogyny and criticism. But then he kind of flipped it around in the audience. He was like, well, here's what happened to my mum. And his mum had had... It was a lung disease of some sort where she basically, anytime she lay down, she was basically drowning. And she suffered for a while with this and it was intolerable. And she got to the point where she was like, I want to die. Um, His mum was called uh, Bonnie, I think. Um, And... Doug and his sister, I think that his sister didn't want to be part of it, but his no. sister knew it was happening. Mm. They managed to find a doctor who just so happened to overprescribe uh, morphine. Um, and so basically Doug and Bonnie went home one night with this overprescription of morphine and they sat down, I think they ordered food, had a drink, they drank White Russians, I believe, which was her favourite drink, and they watched the movie Bad Santa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to actually try and get a link through Bad Santa, but I ended up going this way instead. They watched the movie Bad Santa uh, and Bonnie had taken her overdose and actually in the show, whether or not this is actually true or whether he just says it for a comic device, he claims that he dozed off during the film and when he woke up, she died. Um, but it, it it is very macabre, obviously, mm-hmm. but it was yeah. a fucking truly moving moment of, of and live And fucking comedy. hilarious as well. And, and, and also the way he delivered it was hilarious. It was obviously far better delivered than that. And it kind of turned the tables on the comments uh, mm. of that uh, that journalist from the Telegraph who had been so critical of people that uh, opted for assisted suicide or or even asked for it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah so Doug Stanhope it was an oddly beautiful moment in a show which was just kind of quite vicious a lot of the time and I, I, I still sticks out in my head to this day it's yeah. truly brilliant mm-hmm. so there you go um, go to the Facebook page facebook.com slash unsungpod and vote do you want Orbital in or out uh, the I'm going to say I'm on the fence with this one by the way I'm, I'm not sure Mark doesn't give a fuck <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say yes because I think it's a fun record um, but that's me so Mark you're going to pick one for next week and you're going to grab that tub and you're going to pull so a thing far away. it is so far so away so it's been a while since we had some heavy guitars and some screaming is that a true fact Mark? Yes. Yes. Uh, so you're going to fix that for us? Yes, yeah, so I'm going to do Unsilent Death by Nails. There you go. Interesting. Uh, so have you ever have you ever heard of power violence? Then you'll like it. If you've not, then you should definitely look up. I think we've mentioned it before uh, briefly when we're talking about Converge, maybe. Um, and or when we're talking about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. <laughs> I think I maybe hey, talked well. about a night that I had after seeing Nails. Yeah. Um, although I can't remember if I talked about it in the podcast because it included many illegal things. <laughs> like, is, that, is that the night that we spoke about in the podcast where they were truly awful? Uh, yeah, but then I ended up going to like a house gig and then ended up at an illegal rave and many things happened. Nice. It was maybe definitely we'll, better than that show. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll touch on that next week with uh, certain parts redacted. Yeah, maybe you can mm. beep out a few things. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we're doing Unsilent Death by Nails. It's our first album. Um, there's a, there's a, about a 95% possibility that the podcast itself is going to be longer than Tartography. <laughs> yeah, I think that might happen. And uh, what what's the nexus? The for? nexus is. Thank you very much, for everybody who gave us your fucking ridiculous suggestions last week. Yeah, Jesus. Um, some some corkers in there. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Give an inch, take a mile. Yeah, but we appreciate it. It is the Un- the Unabomber <laughs> by, by Tom Russell. Tom Thanks, Russell Tom has Russell. chosen the Unabomber. So yeah, that'd be uh, fun. I don't, think that, yeah. I don't think that'll be too difficult to be honest. Yeah, Kitchen American State. violent yeah. things. Yeah. Great. All right. Uh, well, thanks for listening to me talk about being a prepubescent dance head. I'm just coming up, man. I need to get going. <laughs> right, let's go. Off we go. Bye. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.